Whether you're an aspiring music business professional or a seasoned vet, every Thursday, the Music Business Podcast brings you the trends and tactics from some of the world's most innovative minds in music. I'm artist manager and consultant, Jordan Williams. And I'm Sam Heisel, co-founder of the music marketing and content production agency, Knox. We're not teachers. We're entertainment industry professionals, drinkers, wannabe comedians, and most importantly, fans. Welcome to the show. What's up, Sam? How you doing, Playboy? What's happening? I'm a radio <laughs> voice for today's episode. <laughs> Luckily, he stops that during the podcast, y'all. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I know you like it, Jordan. He, he, he decided to do that as soon as we turned on this recording. He's not serious. <laughs> I know some of y'all wanted to turn it off. This but... <laughs> is the new me. <laughs> anyway, while, while he gets rid of that and never does it again, <laughs> we'll go into who we're interviewing today. I'm very excited to have this guest on, Carl Folks. He is a, an entertainment lawyer. It's the first entertainment lawyer that we've had on here. And uh, it's a very easy, very flow, uh, well-flowing conversation because this is the first time that Sam and I got to ask a, a lot of questions towards an entertainment lawyer. So he's, he's a young lawyer. Um, he said he was something like 27 or 28 years old. So we get a refreshing perspective on what it's like to be an entertainment lawyer. Um, we get into the different types of lawyers. He kind of goes into different types of models of, of, of a lawyer that you can be in the entertainment industry and which one he is. Um, we talk about when you should get a lawyer, which I think a lot of people don't really know um, because lawyers are obviously very important. But, you know, who knows when it actually makes sense to to get one. So we talk about that a little bit more. And then, you know, one thing I wanted to shout out is just his personal branding. I'm not sure if you guys have seen Carl on Twitter Um or on Instagram, but he's kind of approaching personal branding in a new way um, as an entertainment lawyer. And for those interested in being an entertainment lawyer, I think there's something to learn there. What do you think, Sam? Yeah, I thought it was awesome. I think, I mean, he's doing an awesome job working with some cool artists, 645AR, Blast, Section 8. I think uh, what he's been able to achieve is, is powerful. And I think as a lawyer too, I mean, there's just so many things that as an artist, you don't really take into uh, artist, manager, you're just not really taking into consideration. I think Lawyers are valuable members of any music team. And I think there's a lot of deep industry knowledge that they have that um, you focus on the art, focus on building the community. Have Like they always say, you kind of want to uh, have people around you that are smarter than you. And I think music business and entertainment lawyers are exactly that. And I think the amount you have to learn to really understand the nitty gritty of all the, the different legal practices here is, is expansive. So yep. uh with that said, I think some of my favorite points of this episode, he speaks about what are some of the, the deal points to watch out for when signing a, a distribution deal, publishing deal, a record label deal. I think there's a lot of different factors at play. So you want to make sure if you do get to the point in your career where you are able to kind of uh, evaluate and, and look through these deals, these are some, some key things to keep in mind. I'll talk about different types of royalties and, and the different elements and types of song ownership. Um and then the last thing, too, I think, like, lawyers are, are like, power brokers in the music industry. And I don't know if people really realize that as much, but, like, music, like, lawyers are connected to different managers, to different labels, to all these different entities. So even though technically they're coming on to help make sure that you're legally well represented and, and set up well, um, they're also some of the most well-networked people in the music industry. So if they've got your back, like, they can open a lot of doors beyond just making sure you're you're legally protected in a good place. So I think uh, hats off to, to all entertainment music business lawyers and, and really excited to dive into this episode with Carl. Absolutely. Well, without any further ado. <laughs> 
He did it, man. I'm sorry, y'all. He did it. <laughs> I, thought, I thought we got away with it, but he did it. Anyway, let's get into it. <laughs> Carl, what's up, man? Thanks for virtually coming out, dude. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's a pleasure. I, I, I listen to the uh, to the podcast, and uh, I'm a big fan of what you guys do. That means a lot. That means a lot. Well, I mean, you know, like we said before the podcast, Sam and I are obviously excited to get you on. We haven't had an entertainment lawyer in the space yet, but entertainment lawyers, a lot, in my opinion, can be just as important as who you choose for your manager. So it'll be great to really dive into that uh, with you, for sure. So where are you? You're based in New York, right? Uh, right outside of New York, uh, Newark, Newark, New Jersey, North Jersey. Oh, okay, cool, cool. And and just for starters, I guess, how did you kind of get into the music industry? I mean, obviously you have a law degree, but, you know, what made entertainment, what made, you know, being an entertainment lawyer appealing to you? Yeah, I, I think it kind of was one of those things that uh, kind of came to me naturally. I wanted to do sports, um, my intern with the Brooklyn Nets, intern with the Knicks while I was an undergrad. Uh, just have a basketball background in general, uh, you know, interned at a sports agency. So when I when I uh, initially planned on going to law school uh, right out and, uh, you know, I was young, right? I graduated law, undergrad at 21 years old and I went straight through. So I was able mm-hmm. to get uh, my law degree at 23 years old. Um, so, you know, at that same time, I was also partying in New York City, hanging out <laughs> with a lot of kids who, you know, ended up becoming A&Rs or, you know, photographers, you know, I, you know, I know you guys know like Will and Jordy and people like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of was just building, hanging out with them on the, on the, uh, on the scene. And, and, you know, at that time I started planting my seeds, like, yo, uh, I'm the lawyer. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to law school. I, I meant where I was <laughs> in law school and, um, you know, I'm the lawyer. So I just started planting that seed early, um, you know, right, right into the, to the right years. Awesome, awesome. And you, you um own you own the firm. You started to own the firm that you work for, right? Yes. Um, you know, I, I left Bloomberg. I was doing corporate law at Bloomberg, and um, I, you know, I, I was still I was I was sort of transitioning. I was doing what a lot of people do, I think, in, in our generation, which is you know have one foot in one door and and another foot in another door. <laughs> um, but things started picking up, um, and you know, I, fe- I felt the time was right for me to sort of um, strike. Awesome. Um, yep. Awesome. And Bloomberg is, is great to pivot from too. I'm sure you I'm sure you learned a lot being at Bloomberg. Yeah, we got uh, Bloomberg corporate law to, to music law. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that's been a, a complete change of pace. Yep. Right. It's fun, man. So when it comes to I mean music law, I, I, what's interesting, it often seems too like a lot of people um I think in Donald Passman's book, have you read uh, everything to know about the music business? I haven't read this one. I honestly, oh, I, I do. I don't have any sort of like uh, fight against that book. I just think it's so general. I think it's like yeah. way yeah. too like too For like. Sure. Yeah, yeah. No, and that book is long as hell. So like, it's, it's hard to get through cover to cover on that book. It's great because it's almost like a high level per your point, like general know. encyclopedia based on what you want. To right. Learn. One of the the really interesting points in that book that he makes because as he is a music lawyer, he raises that like. Music lawyers are often like the behind the scenes power brokers in the music industry. A lot of times like artists are even getting introduced to, to managers or, or record labels or business managers through their, their lawyers. So I think it's uh, really interesting to see. And I think I uh, commend you, too, because I think a lot of times the music lawyers, entertainment lawyers don't necessarily get as, as much outward facing respect as they deserve. Right. No, I, I couldn't we- agree more. I think that's why I sort of... Um 
uh, I, I just kind of wanted to own that and sort of the next generation, you know, I'm 27 years old, right? So it's like the Donald Passmans of the universe are sort of the last generation of music lawyers. Streaming came about sort of ripped through um, history of, of the music business, really just sort of altered and changed the, dyna- uh, the direction of what, what music law was going to be uh, and, and what the music business was going to look like. So I think um, for me, I, I always had this idea of sort of shaping what the, the new age music entertainment attorney was going to look like. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So when it comes to, I mean, obviously there's like music law and, and I, I mean, you get to a point where you're an artist and all right, so now it's time to go to level up and not just put my music up on SoundCloud and like upload it through DistroKid to, to DSPs. What are the most common sorts of, of agreements and contracts and um, kind of ways in which you're helping ensure that your your clients and artists are, are are covered well? I know there's a lot of, yeah, what are the most common agreements and, and points you're focused on? Yeah, you know, I think, especially in that in-between space, like you sort of mentioned, um, you know, I think if you, there's a difference, right? I think you have something going viral, um, pretty much, um, if I get involved or another attorney gets involved, it's because the, the big boys are calling, you know, you have a viral, mm-hmm. uh, all of a sudden all the A&Rs are sort of, you know, reaching out, poking at you. You naturally probably have that inclination that, you know, you want to go out there and get a, get an entertainment attorney. But I think before then, um, there's that moment where you, you might be generating some interest, maybe locally, maybe parts of the game sort of, like your package or understand what you're doing. Um, and then sort of maybe dips to, uh, distribution agreements might come upstreaming agreements by upstreaming. I mean, maybe they are a smaller uh, company that puts music up or uh, like a small indie label. And maybe they say, you know what, this agreement is um, in place for us to use our skill set to get you to a major label. You know, I think I mm-hmm. see that a lot. Um, that's what, that's why I use the, you know, the word upstreaming, you upstream it up to the major label. Um, but I think the distribution agreement and like the upstreaming agreements are probably the first agreements you're going to see, uh, unless you sort of generated that, um, that, that major label attention these days, y'all know what that is. That's (laughs) that's virality. Yeah. Right. It's awesome. So when it comes to, um, like upstreaming agreements or signing like a, a deal with a distribution partner. Cause I think we'd love to really just try and make this as tactical as possible for our listeners that are either emerging or established managers, but might not necessarily be as, as familiar. So I think love to really just kind of break apart a lot of the, the most common types of agreements and that are being made. So starting there with like upstreaming and signing with like a distribution deal, like what are some of the most important like deal points and, and factors to keep in mind and keep an eye out for? Yeah, I mean, in, in terms of the upstreaming agreement, I feel like those are, they're not the same as a production deal. I don't know if you ever heard of, uh, uh, if you guys have heard of a production deal, the infamous, I'd say, uh, uh, production deal for sure. Um, upstreaming deals are a little bit like production deals in a sense where, uh, in a perfect world, I would always tell my client never to do that. Like, why would you do that? You can just cut out the middleman and sign directly to a label, uh, just keep building. Um, you might not have the resources you feel, but I think with the internet generation and the way that a lot of these kids are going viral before there's any sort of corporate dollar in their pocket sort of shows you once again, um, maybe there is no need for a middleman, but maybe you do find or want a partner in that in-between space to help you get to that next level. Um, you you want to limit how long you guys are like, look, if we, if I haven't signed with a major in 12 in, in, in a year, 
you know, you know, I, I should be able to sit, uh, move free from this contract or whatever it is. It should be based on a certain time period and um, it should give both parties an incentive to, to work hard. Um, so I think that's the key in the upstreaming deal, just sort of like making sure that it's, you know, one, um, there, there is some sort of budget um, and marketing fund because usually it's a lack of funds that mm-hmm. that. Um, and then two, I would say there needs to be an emphasis on um, the, the length of the deal, making sure there's like a, a 12 month or 18 month period where, and within that period, you know, I have to be upstream to a major label. Um, yeah, and, and, I, and I would say those are probably the most important points. Yeah. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. When it comes to, um, I mean, I know everybody, and I'm sure one of the most common things, and and, and I think, the, I mean, record label deals too. So now that you are, are at the stage where you're in your career and you want to sign with a like a potentially record label, fortunate enough to be at that stage in your career where there's some interest. Like in that same vein too, like what are some of the most common like deal points that you're really paying attention to just to make sure that like you're helping set an artist up for long-term success and, and revenue and not necessarily uh getting exploited as we know lots of artists tend to do yeah um i think historically there's always been like the massive option periods with four or five different albums right you know how many you know get to five major label albums and a lot of times the way these these record uh recording contracts are written um you know there's no flexibility in in the album it has to be an album so they can kind of deem that, oh, that was a mixtape. Ah, oh, that was that was just a project, you know, you know, it doesn't really count. So you you're trying to make sure you're putting caveats in there that um like a, a full-length release is a full-length release. Um, just so you could work through that deal. I think you just want to make sure you're working through that deal and they're not holding up the music. Um and then obviously it's the front end money, you know, there's a there's a lot of different opinions on it. Uh, on that, like how much, how big your advance would be. I think I'm a little bit old school in that sense where I think if you're working, if you're signing to a label, uh, I'd probably sign for as much money as possible. Um, it's it's, a, it's a, a rare moment in your life where you can get that sort of heavy life-changing income um, that could sort of just set you up. And then, but, but the only problem with that right now is um, I would say COVID has made me sort of rethink that position um, because you know a lot of artists took that big advance and um, you know when you take that big advance you're not really going to get any royalty checks for a while unless you recoup and mm-hmm. how many artists are recouping not not many um, more are you know I, I would say in, a, in the past year or so but not many um, and then all of a sudden your touring got cut um, and all of a sudden your merch money probably got sliced. So if you're not getting money off your royalties, and you're not getting money from shows and you're barely getting money from merch, where are you getting your money? Especially since most artists probably run through that advance a little bit. So um, I think it's definitely making you reevaluate, um, you know, how, how to structure the next batch of deals. Yeah. I mean, with that said too, I mean, isn't it's interesting, like, <clears throat> and some people say too, it's like, Maybe, yeah, getting the, the big advance is not necessarily going to be in your best long-term interests because you're getting less of a stake on the 
long-term upside in royalties in exchange right. for a bigger advance. It, it makes it a little bit, you're not necessarily like betting on yourself as much. Yeah. But, but then you also, you know, at that point, I'm also just like, then why, why are you even partnering with what I deem to be a bank in 2020? Um, mm-hmm. Because I think I was, you know, as I sort of was alluding to earlier, a lot of what makes a lot of the virality um, and a lot of the, the moments that sort of create or launch artist careers are before a label even gets involved. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it be, you know, Arizona Zervas, an example, there's a bunch. It's almost like every single, you know, artist, you know, who, who seems to get signed now already has a viral hit before they get signed. And right. uh, interesting because, there, you know, back in the day, there used to be, uh, I'm sure I sound like a 60 year old man, um, <laughs> but, you know, back in the day, a and was a concept where you signed someone off talent and, um, the buzz wasn't there before you signed, you know, and, and, and there was going to be a lot more money in development and other stuff put in. Now it's like you're almost getting a finished, well, not a finished product necessarily, but you're getting someone who has already maybe established a fan base or has a moment going that's, that's you know, that might allow them to tour even right now. And then, you know, someone's coming in and, um, you know, offering a prehistoric deal. So, Part of me feels like if you're going to play in that space, you got to know what it comes with. But, you know, begging major labels is to, to, to change a, uh, a system. Um, I, I think you got to know how to, how to play a game if you're going to play that game and go that direction. Right. Right. Speaking of um, obviously labels, um, finding artists and kind of what the A&R process is like, what do you think the A&R discovery process is for, for an entertainment lawyer? So for, you know, for our audience who may want to look for an entertainment lawyer, what are some things that you look for in artists that you feel like you want to represent? Man, uh, it's funny. There, there's a there's a guy I work with now. His name is Blast. Uh, he's based in L.A. Oh, I know Blast. I actually just found him maybe like a couple months ago, and I've just been like digging into his discography. So nice. So super yeah. <laughs> uh, but literally a year ago, maybe a year and some change, you know, it was in my release radar, or it just came up some random. I I don't I don't and I just listened. I was like. What the hell is this? Like, who's who's on that? You know, yeah, I, I did the same thing. That's so funny. That's literally what happened to me too. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, no, the sound is too polished. Like, this is like, this is way too much of a finished product. And and then you go, and then you know, I find out he's producing most of it, and um, and then he's like writing for other people in LA, and he's he has such a strong track record in in Los Angeles, um, in terms of production and songwriting and. You know, for me, uh, it became something where I just, I, I had to get, I wanted to be a part of the team, you know, more than anything. Mm-hmm. Like, I am an entertainment attorney, but, um, you know, I'm so much more. And I think part of that just because of my age and, and how I sort of came up in the culture. Um, so, you know, th- there's other gaps I could help fill for you. Maybe even like in a, a quote unquote um, dot connector or, you know, it's sort of a, pseudo manager what whatever mm-hmm. there's a bunch of roles that you know i think a entertainment attorney can play if, they, if they're not playing that traditional entertainment attorney but you know he wasn't working with anybody and you know i connected with him um in his dms and uh eventually you know i was out in la within a month or two just you know taking meetings out there anyway and we just start building the old-fashioned way and um for that for that scenario in particular is like i believe in the team the the talent you know, everyone involved with that process, you know, I'm super excited every day. I think that's like sort of uh, one of those examples of, 
one of the reasons why I even became an entertainment attorney. You want to protect that. You want to do groundbreaking shit. You want to do deals that no one's ever done. And you want to sort of create, um, um, you want to sort of create a new ecosystem, you know, and, and, and show people there's more than one way to be done. So I think with that team, uh, with Blast and everyone in this camp, Vic, um, those people are like, they inspired me to even, you know, push, they pushed me as an entertainment attorney to right. think creatively and structuring deals because, you know, they're, they're not going to settle. Um, so I, for me, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little old school in that sense. Like I only would rather work with people that um, I like musically. And then I mm-hmm. want to, and then obviously the more established you get, uh, the more selective you can be. And I think, right. Uh, six months or so i've been super selective um but six for five ar for example i don't know if you know him yeah <laughs> he's another one of my clients and um it's funny ar hit me maybe and he wasn't even using the he wasn't even on the baby voice uh <laughs> he yeah, you me. got him before the baby voice yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he had, some good, he had some good people uh around him and people that i knew um and, and whether it be just, you know, from connecting through the internet or just, um, he, he just had some people that, that I, I liked in his, you know, in his camp. And, um, you know, we just sort of developed that relationship then. And then all of a sudden baby voice hit and, uh, it became a different ball game. And, um, you know, like I said, for somebody like that, it's like, even though I do like the music and I think it's interesting. Um, I think, I think that one was more of just a personal relationship. We built kind of hit me at the right time. You know, we connected at the right time. And um, we were able to sort of all win long term. But um, I, I think it's a combination of all things. Like, you know, same way you just sort of you're on your release radar, just seeing what's going on with the situation. Um, and then it's also just maybe filling out people in their camp. You know, I think by this time, if you're in the industry, um, kind of there's a lot of different groups of people that you're close with. And then there's even the people that you just hear and you're like, you might have zero fans. Um, but I, I think it's that good. I'm going to, I'm going to do what sort of Sam was alluding to earlier. I'm going to like actually facilitate this one and be, and be sort of a appointment. And so, so it, it happens at all, all different sort of uh, levels, the A&R process, I would say. Right. Yeah. Um, you sort of alluded to like non-traditional and traditional senses of entertainment lawyers. And it's funny because I think that being an entertainment lawyer generally, you can blur the lines of being a lawyer, like you said, being a manager, being a homie, you know. Yeah. Um, so what do you think of the different types of traditional and non-traditional ways that an entertainment lawyer can work? And, and which one are you? Which one do you prefer? Or does it change per client? Yeah, damn, you hit it. I mean, it definitely changes per client, but I would say 85 percent of the time. um you know, if we're locked in, we're locked in. So you, you might just call me or FaceTime you out during the day to check in, um, talk to me about some of the music stuff you have going on because you want to hear my opinion on it. Um, maybe want me to connect you to another client that happens often. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I'm working with a kid right now. His name is Section 8, and he produced a picture for Little Baby, and he also did We Paid for Little Baby. So, <laughs> um, you know. <laughs> He's doing well. Yeah, yeah. A lot of a lot of my other clients or a lot of my other people in the industry are sort of like hitting me about him left and right. Like, yo, what's going on? Can I get a pack? Or so you know, I'll even play that. Um, I like to play that. I mean, I, who wants to push papers all day? Um, but there's there are some you know as I even as I expand my firm, right? I think 
this year I've been building, I, I call myself a tech, I call the folks firm a tech firm that happens to specialize in law. Cause you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm focusing on building out systems um, more so I think than many entertainment attorneys have done in the past. Cause a lot of it, a lot of people like to flatter themselves and view them just cause you're an entertainment attorney, you're smarter than you are, you're not. It's a lot of sort of <laughs> admin work. It's a lot of rep- repetition. And, um, and I think a lot of the computers in AI and blockchain are better than human beings at doing. So I'm investing right. that stuff in my firm and practice. So I would just say in, in general, I'm, I'm definitely non-traditional from the creative role and just how I want to build out my firm. But a lot of other firms operate um, definitely a little bit more rigidly, I think, in you know, you're going to sign this engagement letter, engagement letter, meaning um, sort of your lawyer contract, that contract you mm-hmm. sign yourself and the lawyer. And um, once we do that, I'm going to charge you per conversation on an hourly rate, or it can be a percent of the deal. And, um, and you know, we're going to keep it pretty much legal and maybe I'll connect you every now and then, but this one's going to be a, you know, anytime I have a contract. Um, and yo, you, you learn a lot of people want that, you know, mm-hmm. I think it sounds good sometimes, you know, the, my package or, you know, what I look like and how I'm trying, but a lot of people don't want that. It, you know, that's something I had to learn the hard way. You know, uh, you know, it, it definitely was an ego killer in a, in a good way. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um, so that's, yeah, I mean, that's a lot. I think, I think our audience would definitely kind of learn what role um, an entertainment lawyer can play. I know, I know, you know, generally in the music industry, like I was saying, it, it feels like the wild, wild west in some respect. It's in terms of uh, what entertainment lawyers actually do for their clients. Um, I, I want to, I would say very briefly too, before you, even uh-huh. yes. um, I think for everyone out there listening, just like, you know, entertainment attorneys are different in, um, you know, even when you're going into the process of looking for one, I think you shouldn't, know what you want out of an attorney and like myself i don't i don't necessarily want people to play one a role i want someone to have a sort of obviously a main focus but then i'm selling you short if i don't believe you have other things to offer so that's right. how i view myself and sure my main job will be protecting your intellectual property negotiating contracts but you're selling me short by not allowing me to do other stuff right right feel about that right that's awesome and it gives you a lot more agency that's right. cool um so i kind of want to pivot a little bit to music publishing because i think that's another area that a lot of people don't know about i mean i think i've known you know i've been in the i was in the music industry been in it for you know five five years at this point and um i you know i've had full conversations with people when about not knowing when to sign a publishing deal because you know that record that record deal often it comes before or the distribution deal often comes before it's time to depending on the artist, but in my case, before it's time to uh, sign a publishing deal. So I guess in your opinion, when do you think it makes sense for an artist to start entertaining publishing offerings, offers or, and how does that, how does that generally come about? Yeah. I, I, first I would say it starts with the education lesson of understanding how much smaller the publishing bag is from the recorded music bag. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just give you an example for for like Spotify payouts. Like Spotify pays out, say fifty seven percent to uh, you know the recorded music side. So that's the masters. That's that's the record label. Or if you're not with a record label, 
It's a distributor. If you're not with a distributor, it's basically yourself through TuneCore. Mm-hmm. Um, so 57% of a stream kind of goes that direction. Um, another around 30% goes to stays with the streaming provider. So it would be Spotify takes to 30. Around 13% goes to the publishing side. Um, so it's it, it sort of the recorded music side sort of morphs um, the, the stream, uh, the, the publishing business. And I think that should always be maybe at the back of your mind. I don't think it's one of those things where you should under, you, sh- you shouldn't sell yourself short and give it away. You're publishing like it's a hot, you know, hot cake. But you know, th- I, I think I, I hear, listen to a lot of conversations online about publishing. And I think maybe, maybe it did get overvalued. I think even mm-hmm. the company hypnosis and, you know, they're buying massive catalogs and spending like operating like a hedge fund and sort of buying just pub catalogs and, uh, you know, at, at 11 times the multiple or maybe even more sometimes. So uh, I, I think first is just understanding how much money is in publishing, one, um, how your royalties are, are calculated, right? You know, you get a streaming is one way, obviously public performance, you know, your ASCAP and BMI is another one. Um, yeah, so you, I, I think you have, in sync, obviously, you know, you know, movies, film, um, you have to know that stuff first. But I, I'd say I'd be a bit more willing to part ways with a piece of my publishing than I would be uh, my, my master, uh, a larger master percentage, just because, like I said, I think the bag is a bit smaller. But I, I think they got to operate together in a beautiful way because a lot, I think a lot of publishers, especially if you f- sign with one who is um, A&R driven, there's, there's a lot of A&Rs and, you know, the, the pub realm operates a lot like the recorded music space where there's some, there are A&Rs who look for talented songwriters and producers and, and artists. And um, they don't, they, they want to get their, their goal is to get you in studio sessions, get you into, uh, you know, sync rooms, you know, Fast and Furious is, you know, doing a soundtrack, let's try to get you in there and, and build. Um, so there's so much value in that. And then, you know, I, I, I think they focus on the actual music and the composition lyric side. Um, so I, I think they can operate in a beautiful space. And, and in the mat, you know, and say you do a recording deal, it's like, you know, they're going to pretty much focus on, you know, helping your stuff go and, you know, operating in that sort of bigger space. So I think together it could be a good fit. Um, you know, I, I, I would, I would, um, it takes a while to generate publishing income too. Um, I, I just want, I, I want everyone listening to understand that too. It's not like a, even if you have a hit record, it's going to take maybe, um, eight months, maybe 12 months to, to sort of start really seeing that money hit your account. So it's, it's, it's a real right. back. Yeah. It's a, it's a back in business. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, on the, 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 um, I mean, on the publishing side, I mean, it's important and a lot of people don't even, aren't even like registered to receive like the publishing royalties on their own songs. Yeah. Yeah. Not for, for sure. They're not registered or, um, the bigger one is usually not getting their mechanical royalties at all. Like a lot of people sort of stop at ASCAP or BMI, but the mechanical royalties are going to be so much more important as we go forward because it's, it's also a streaming royalty. Um, you know, it's generated anytime a song streamed and we all know how important streaming is. Um, but, you know, ASCAP BMI doesn't pay it out. 
So mm-hmm. you're just leaving that mechanical money on the table if you're not signed up. Um, and a lot of time, in, in, in the way it's kind of set up, you almost have to sign up with with an admin company to even get that mechanical royalty. But there are some some smaller companies like Audium and and um, you know companies like that that are working in that space. Right. So when it comes to an artist, and I mean, even like, can we just take a step back and can you just, for a lot of our listeners, like break down all the different like moving pieces and like of a song, you get the masters, you got publishing, you're speaking to mechanical royalties. You just like give a brief lay of the land. I think it's, uh, it's a very critical part of how money gets made off music mm-hmm. that a lot of people don't really understand. Yeah, there's a couple of projects I'm clearing. And I sort of, I like that aspect because it's like, it also, I mean, Jordan used that word agency earlier, and um, I like that word. I mean, you know, so it's like, cool, you know, we bring in, we have artists, and um, it's like, yo, we got a project coming out. Cool, let's, let's, let's go through each song. Are there any samples? <laughs> First, if there's any samples, I'm going to go and figure that out and see if it's even worth moving forward with this song because, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of these uh, samples can either take – they want 60% of the publishing, 80% of the publishing, um, and they're going to ask for a large fee. Or maybe they just might say no. There's some infa- infamous teams out there or uh, legends in music who just, you know, pretty much always going to say no. So do you have a sample? All right, no, no sample. Um, who produced the song? Um, all right, you might say you have two producers. Now we got to, you know, go contact their management or the producer in general or their attorneys and get those producer fees sort of um, figured out. Um, so th- there's the production of a song and um, producers are, uh, they usually they generally get in hip hop and R&B. Um, I think it's, it's like that for other stuff too. You know, obviously my focus is hip hop and R&B. Um, they usually get 50% of the publishing. So it's broken off. You know, if there's two producers, um, it'd be 25, 25 uh, if, they, if they have equal contributions. Um, it could be three producers, could be four. A lot of people are sending loops these days. Um, so 50% of the publishing usually, and then uh, also maybe three points, maybe four points, um, you know, if it's a, it's a bigger producer. Points are just a, a piece of the royalty that an artist is getting um, on the master side. So I don't, I don't know. I don't want to go too high level, uh, but, I, you know, I also want to make sure everyone gets and understands this. Mm-hmm. If an artist, you know, signs to Columbia Records or, you know, I'll use another, say, say an artist comes signs to one of the big, big record labels, uh, Universal, uh, they're usually getting 16 to 18% of the royalty. So if a producer is getting four points, that means he's getting four or he or she's getting four out of the 16. So they're getting 25% of the artist uh, share of the royalty. Um, so that's that. So that's one thing. You're going to figure out how much you're giving the producer. Um, then you're going to... Then it's like the songwriting. Who wrote the song? As you know, um, a lot of the bigger records, you know, there's just four or five different songwriters. Um, mm-hmm. And um, so now there's a whole other process of, you know, what's their fee? Um, how much publishing are they, they going to get on the, on the songwriting side? Um, it all equals up to 100, you know, on the publishing side. So it's mm-hmm. a lot of artists, you know, if you, if you dig pretty deep, some artists aren't even writing anything. You could it's pretty easy to find the full publishing splits of a record and you know they might not have written a word and written a word and they won't get any publishing if you don't write the song or you didn't produce the song you're not gonna get any publishing 
Yeah, people don't know that though, because you have to write your real name for for those splits. <laughs> so I'm sure people are looking at it like, who is this person? It's like offset or something. <laughs> like people. Yeah, like, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah. So so you know, it's a, it's it's production. It's samples first. I think it's a, you know you're trying to clear your production and songwriting and. Um, yeah, I mean, even at, at the label level, they'll even send it to maybe as a, a musicologist, like just to make mm-hmm. sure at, at the end of the day, it's not going to be close. You know, the, someone doesn't say, no, you copy my song. You know, I, we, we've seen these massive cases, Katy Perry, you know, obviously, you know, you know, Robin Thicke's song. Um, mm-hmm. you, know, that you just don't want, even if the producer told you I didn't use anything and you just want to be super careful um, that, um you know, you're not infringing, even if you meant to or you didn't mean to. So that part, that musicologist part is something I'm seeing more and more, especially at the major level. Um, and, and after that, you're, you're pretty much good to go. Uh, you know, you're going to get those full pub splits, figure out who wrote the song, who contributed, um, see if there's any samples. And, you know, on the, on the master, if there's a featured artist, I think that would be the last caveat. Um, mm-hmm. Featured artists can be a pain in the I, I'd say side artist agreements and side artist situations dealing with major label artists could be a lot because the label has to clear it all the time. And depending on their release schedule, you know, there's, they're just really, you know, sticklers in terms of one, even agreeing to it. So you might pay for a feature and the label waiver doesn't get cleared. All right. The label says after you pay for a feature after you pay for it. Yeah. Dang, that sucks. Paperwork makes that <laughs> it's pending a label waiver. Like you know that. Like you got to clear this with my label first. Like, but I'll do the I'll do the record. Um, that happens. <laughs> you got to clear it with the label. If, you know, if it's been a major label artist, so that can get tricky. That can get that can get real tricky and get throw off the splits, and it can uh, also throw off the timeline. Right. Yeah. Sounds like some what other shicey shit you see people try and pull off. And I mean, maybe even artists aren't even aware of the fact that they need to get it. So I don't want them to seem like I'm pinning that on an artist. Because oftentimes, too, they're probably not even like aware that they need to get it cleared when somebody hits them up in the DM, like, yo, let me cop that feature. I'd be so heated as an artist. Like, <laughs> I got my, I just paid for this feature, bro. This song about to go. And then they're like, wait a second. I don't know who the artist was, but I was listening and they were just like, yeah, send me that feature money. I think it was T Grizzly. It made me spit out whatever I was drinking. <laughs> yeah. like, send me that feature money. I'm gonna do it, but I ain't gonna clear it. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't stop laughing because I was like, "Yo, that's crazy. That's like that's that's, that's awesome, awesome, bro. Yeah. That's yeah, awesome. That's that's, that's unfortunate. It was funny, it was funny. Yeah. yeah, that's why that's why they gotta hire you to make sure they don't get caught up in that predicament. <laughs> but, but I will say, you know, one thing I also want to make clear is like. Your lawyer is, I, you, you, I think people expect me to make, uh, you know, miracles a lot. And, you know, it does become exhausting because it's like, yeah. I'm going to call trying to like, you know, pull off the damn near impossible. Maybe once every blue moon you get lucky. But, right. um, you know, you can't throw so much on your lawyer. You, lawyer, you have to be um, cognizant of, of, you know, of scenarios and, and be realistic. So, but, but I will say, you know, it, it gets crazy. You know, every day it gets crazy. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to, for like emerging artists or producers that might not necessarily be signed with a label, you mentioned like the BMI and ASCAP, but like, 
What what do you have to do to properly register a song as an artist or producer if you're not at the point where you have a, a label taking care of all that stuff for you? If you want to register a song, um, yeah, you know, one you need all the splits. I think you need to have everyone's full name, everyone's uh, performance right organizations. Um, you think you know you know even if you're not at that major label level, um, you should be operating at that. You know, I think that's the sort of thing I hear a lot. They're like, oh, you know, I'm not signed to a label. But I think there's even more of an emphasis if you're not signed to a label to get the, the admin and the back end business done. Mm. You're, you're probably the one who's going to be doing it. Um, so you just make sure you get everyone splits. And I would say keep agreements simple. Like, you know, if you don't have the, the bag for an attorney um, or maybe you're, you're working with a manager, but he might be, he or she might be uh, an experience, keep the agreement simple, you know, just get the splits down, uh, on the pub side. And if you're giving away a piece of your, your, your master royalty, just, just spell that stuff out and, and keep it simple. I think, um, too many people try to do funky arrangements, um, early on in their career or, you know, just keep it simple. What are the pub splits? How much is, Everyone want to get paid, you know. How are you splitting the master royalty? Who owns what? Right, right. Um, all right, man. Well, I just want to say, you know, thank you for coming out. I must say, Sam and I like definitely had to mute ourselves here a little bit in terms of all the things that we wanted to ask because we could keep you here for hours. Um, but definitely, definitely appreciate you, uh, you know, showing your wisdom and and to our to our listeners. You know, uh, this is something that we've wanted to get into in a really long time. It's funny that we met with Donald Passman. He was one of the first people that we invited on the podcast and he said no. And that was, that was like a year and a half ago. And ever since then, it's been like, all right, well, we got to get we got to get somebody else on here. And um, the relationship that you have with your clients is really great. And what you're trying to do with your with your firm is really inspiring, inspiring. So definitely thank you for coming out. No, I, I appreciate it a lot. And, you know, I, I would say, you know, for everybody listening to um, yeah, I, I I would say don't be afraid to reach out to an entertainment attorney, um, but but also make sure you're ready for that. Um, whether it be understanding how much an entertainment attorney is going to charge, or you can work out you know a certain fee arrangement. But you know, they they can be huge connectors, and I think um, that you know don't sell their roles short because the right entertainment attorney I think can sort of help you um, frame your career. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Right on. Well, uh, all right, man. Well, thank you so much for coming out virtually. Um, yeah. You know, we could chop it up after the episode, but hope everything is good with you, your family, everybody during the during the pandemic and the social unrest. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's the same to you guys. Thank you, guys. Yeah, man. Super dope episode, man. Super dope. Like I said, it was super great getting an entertainment lawyer on. Um, I think that Carl in his responses got straight to the point. It was very tactical with the way that he described things. I think he I think he laid out a path for people to follow, not only as an entertainment lawyer, but also as an artist. And as an artist, he helps you find your way into finding an entertainment lawyer, which I thought was great. I think for every question we asked, I think lawyers can kind of beat around the bush a lot, at least from the ones that I've spoken to. Um, but he was very honest with all of his explanations, which was great. 
And uh, I think he explained everything, you know, obviously with a youthful spirit. I think I think being a lawyer and, and explaining what it's like to be a lawyer can can be really dry. But um, I think we still were able to be entertaining for the audience. And I think he contributed mostly to that, you know. So, uh, yeah, I thought it was I thought it was a great episode. What do you think, Sam? Yeah, I thought it was great, man. I thought he was uh, super smart, super knowledgeable. And I think that's just really tactical and valuable advice. You got to. You want to secure secure the bag. You got to make sure absolutely you got the the right legal team that you're you're legally set up to to secure said bags. So right, super valuable, super grateful for having him on as a guest, and also super grateful for all of our, our patrons. So I think uh, community is really growing, really enjoying the different happy hours we're having, the opportunity that we're getting from our uh, the patrons to submit questions, to include in these conversations and interviews. I think it's been really valuable to see that, that community, community grow and uh, really just help, excited to help everybody in there continue to win and prosper. So if you haven't already, I really do want to encourage you guys to, to check out the, our Patreon. Um, really interesting, cool features designed to really trying to help create a positive impact for you. So you can check that out at musicbusinesspodcast.com slash community. That is musicbusinesspodcast.com slash community. Um, and without any further ado, y'all, we love you. We'll see you next week.